0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy.
0: Welcome to the Same Here Global Mental Health Podcast. I'm Darren Bell. I'm joined, as I am each week, by Eric Husson, Uh, and Theo Fleury. And today we are joined by Mark Frazier, played with the Devils, the Leafs, the Oilers, and is currently the Director of Player Development for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, As the playoffs are upon us, uh, you know, when we talk about mental health, we also talk about performance, expectation in the moment, and how that has an impact on, how players are thinking obviously f- fans don't give a crap fans just want uh, it to uh, go in the net and that's it and they don't care about <laughs> any of <laughs> any bit of the players mental health or anything like that so we we want to talk about that uh mark welcome to the show
2: I appreciate it yeah thank you thank you darren theo and eric for having me of course something real quick i'm not actually the director uh that someone else was awarded that title thankfully because it'd be should i be i'd be swimming if, if I wasn't. <laughs> but uh my title is uh, player development equity diversity and inclusion
3: got it got it so what does that entail
2: uh so what it entails is essentially uh helping ideate and create uh the growth strategy uh for equity diversity and inclusion but with responsibilities strictly not necessarily strictly they're pretty vast but uh, focusing with the players and intimately with the staff and coaching staff uh, to really just try to help grow our awareness and perspectives and again, creating new initiatives uh, to educate that particular group. Obviously there's a lot more reach all throughout MLSE, but specifically developing the players, coaching staff and equipment training staff on understanding a little bit more about EDI.
0: Actually, I, I, I like that there's another person that means that it's not like just a token job that they're trying to do to make people happy, right? It means that there's really a staff involved and it's not just like oh let's just hire someone because we have to hire someone so it actually makes me feel pretty good
2: uh, well i actually I, I would agree with that one um and and one of the compliments i guess like that, that i got as far as my value add being a former player and why uh it would make sense to have me with the team is is thankfully like i said my colleague justin <laughs> got the position for director um like i said i would have been swimming with those responsibilities but being a, a player and being relatable and having the ability to walk into a locker room and Theo, again, you would know exactly what that's like. Uh, the difference between a suit coming in and us walking in there, it's immediately you have the respect and, and the guard is just down for the, the players in a manner where you, especially if you're having sometimes this conversation around sensitive topics, you don't want it to be, um, you want them to be as, as, as open, to receiving these messages as possible and having that relatability and familiarity as an athlete uh, was was my value add. So I didn't get the job I went for, but they saw enough value in me still being around that they uh, were able to, during a pandemic, find a second salary.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I used to love when the suits walked into the dressing room. Because <laughs> to me, it was like, whatever, you know, but other guys would be like, you know, all darted and all freaking out and all this stuff. And I'd just be laughing, you know,
2: hundred
3: like, percent. Get the hell out of my room. <laughs> Basically, It's
1: a great place for us to start though, because, you know, my career at the NBA league office started in 2001. And, it was around that time they were bringing in something that they were calling player development right a couple of years after that um, and and there were very few former nba players that were in these roles working for teams right it usually was like tv analyst or you know play by play person in some way or you know halftime show host or assistant coach right and and what theo is talking about right now is this relatability factor to the other players right someone who's been in their shoes and now can come back and help them with because mark you're, you're talking about dei which we're going to get into right and within dei also well, we're, the, the the main point of this podcast is talking about mental health right and the mental health of players but before we even get into the specifics of dei and mental health we need to set the groundwork for everyone of what player development even is right and, and i think you know, if, if you wouldn't mind helping, I, I'll, I'll ask Theo to answer a sarcastic question. Theo, was there something called a player development director when you played in the NHL?
3: Mm, yeah, but I never saw him. <laughs> so is, so is give, some, apparent, give some color on that. Apparently I was already developed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. That's a great
1: line. <laughs> but, but so it, 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 it's important for us to bring up because my understanding of player development or or,
0: or, i gotta get this in or he was hopeless
3: (laughs) hopeless getting 100 points a year is hopeless
1: (laughs) darren means hopeless for anything off the ice you were doing everything you needed to do on the ice but you know look i want to give props to the leagues in some way that starting to get into the 2000s what they started realizing was this role of player development was hey, we've got players who perform on the court, on the ice, on the playing surface. Um, What can we do to help them to become the most well-rounded human beings that they can possibly be? Now, being very transparent about it, part of being a well-rounded human being while they are playing their sport means that they believe they're going to be able to get greater productivity productivity out of them on the court on the field on the ice right so it's not just completely you know benevolent on their part where it's preparing them for life after sport um but mark like you know so you you having played more recently and darren gave um some of the background with the devils and the leafs and the oilers before you took on this role right now where where you're on the team side of things and you were a player how did you view the player development role how did your teammates view the player development role, and was it helpful for you?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess, like, well, there's different levels of court or areas, faculties of player development. Um, obviously, on ice, like skill development, strength, conditioning, dietary, whatever, uh, there's all those le- angles of it. But right now, I guess, specifically speaking of, like, the wellness uh, development, uh, for the most part, uh, and I don't mean to say this in any way, like, I mean, it, it was – for, for a lot of the players at the time, it was like the – the we looked at it like the the, shrink, the head shrink, you know, like the – you want to kind of stay away from – if you ever get pulled in by whoever the, um, you know, sports psychologist is, then it's because you already – like you've been targeted as like, man, this guy needs some help right now, like meaning you're on his all, production.
0: But it's also – but Mark, it's also because – and we talked about this on other episodes – it's not really for real reasons it's for sinister reasons because the team is almost against you and they're trying to find out more and it's not it's not out of like a uh, let you know let's really help this guy it's to find out more information
2: so that that's definitely like the that's definitely was, was the perception when i played and not to say that it was or wasn't like that um i would certainly wouldn't want to you know speak ill of the the very much qualified professionals that the couple of them at least that were around the room the rooms that i played in um but that's what the player's perspective was i was like man if i get pulled into here first of all like can i trust this person you know i think we were just kind of talking about that you know a suit in the room immediately you're like what, what exactly am i about to open up to if i tell this individual that i'm struggling uh with my confidence in, in the offensive zone right now is that something that's just going to be relayed back to the coach and be like, this guy is not comfortable playing on the offensive blue line, get him off the ice. You know, so there was that perception where it was like, I'm not really going to ever open up. But at the same time, and and again, not to speak ill of, of very highly educated professionals that absolutely have earned their degrees and, and, and uh, doctorates or what it may be. But it's also just the lack of trust for an individual who actually you feel like has it. There isn't that relatability. So I remember at one point, uh, you know, being asked like, "Well, what is something that works? What's something you're doing well when when things are going good for you?" And I don't know, I I can't remember what my answer was, but whatever it was, like, "All right, try to just envision that," and then you know, I'm kind of trying, I guess, to envision that, but at the same time, you're like, "You know, this ain't working. (laughs) Like, I need a bit more than just." telling myself, like, think back to where you hit the middle really well on a breakout pass, like, okay, (laughs) like that's but that's not make that's not working right now. I need more. I need someone who actually can, like, feel what I'm feeling and experience what I'm experiencing to give me a little bit more than just, um, you know, a medical examination and more of like a lived experience, relatable, you know, coaching or or empathizing or, or guidance on how to get through this. Um, So that was sort of how we looked at it back then. And I'm sort of referencing like the 2010 sort of era. Um, But it's now I think there's uh, a lot of guys, even just again, like this past year in sports uh, with the pandemic and just how chaotic it is. There's players. uh, I've been to Toronto a couple of times now with both the, the Leafs and the Marlies, but just the, you know, what, what this year has meant for these. I can't imagine straight up i can't imagine like on the mental side what has been for some of these individuals and so that goes across athletes for all these sports right now um but the perception definitely back in the day was not necessarily to be trusted and at the same time the real struggle of like finding that relatability and therefore just not really opening up and ever like being my true self of what my issue might be because shit I, I if i might go to the coach or i just might not even be really like uh understood on the same level so why would i completely like pull those layers and be vulnerable if i can't necessarily protect myself and if you're a bubble guy or you know an in and out guy or or a role player uh you're not trying to do anything that could potentially sabotage your career so you're just going to hold your cards as close to the chest as you can
3: yeah well what blows my mind is that you know and i've said this on a few different podcasts is You know, 5% is ability, right? Because when you get to the highest level, everybody can play the game, okay? What's, you know, what separates, you know, the great players from the good players is between the ears, and, you know, we don't spend enough time developing, you know, the mind you know, so that it gets those those great players to even a higher level is what's going on between their ears, you know, and, and you know, there's ways to train that, there's ways to talk about it, there's all those, all those things, right? And so um, you know, I remember when I got to Calgary, we we had probably one of the first uh you know, sort of psychiatrists or psychologists, whatever you want to call it. And I worked with him, and <clears throat> I can tell you that he he improved the mental side of my game when it, when nobody was doing it right because as a guy what who's is, what, is like, what is this eighty <clears> eight? <throat> no, like it's we're talking the nineties. Okay, you know, beginning middle part of the nineties, <clears throat> and uh, um, like he helped me because I was looking for an advantage. Right, I'm five foot six, 150 pounds. Like I got to figure out how i'm going to you know be successful in a game where everybody's you know a foot taller than me 5, five 50 pounds heavier than me and it was between my ears that needed the most work because i had the ability i had the talent all those things and and it was that stuff in between my ears that that made the biggest difference
1: but i think we need to level set here for everyone because there's a, <laughs> there's a lot being discussed in terms of the help that can come from A team or an organization right so so obviously my my background is on the NBA side of things first before going to the NHL and full disclosure Mark was with the Devils a little bit when when I was there so it's cool to have that connection but what what I saw was here was here was the build right so there were these coaches that teams had where the coaches might have been like the head coach of the team's youth coach back in the day, right, and that person got hired and now was like the mental skills performance coach, right? And they did some of the things that Theo was talking about if they were lucky that, that this person was good, some of the visualization things that Mark kind of frowned down upon a little bit because I think it just depends on who the person was. Where, where I started to see teams and leagues start to get a little more serious about it was again in the early 2000s where they were hiring former players in this role of, the title of it was player development director, right? And again, this might be specific to NBA, NFL circles more so than than NHL. Um, but so they were hiring players as, as um, player development directors. And their role, keep in mind, this is before the Kevin Love era, before the DeMar DeRozan era, before people are talking about mental health's impact, right? So they were hiring people to help the players with things like, how do you manage requests from family who are asking for so many tickets? How do you manage family that's calling you up and asking you for money? Theo, you've shared this before, like out of nowhere, some family member says they're related to me now, right? And and, and, and what do I do when they're requesting money and tickets from me? How do you handle your finances so that you're gonna have money that's remaining after you play, right? So So there was this first play at like, okay, we're gonna try and have a former player be the liaison to these other topics that happen in a player's life outside of just what taking place on the playing surface. That started, right, and and the funny thing is, I shouldn't say funny, ironic thing, is the thing that we're all on here talking about, this concept of we all have mental health and how do we work on mental health. I think it was kind of the box felt like it was already checked because prior to the player development directors being added, you had these skill performance coaches who are like, yeah mark we're gonna we're gonna make you you know make sure your your mind is focused now theo we're gonna we're gonna tie one hand behind your back and make sure you're shooting with the other hand, and that's where you're gonna you know train your mind to be stronger. What started to develop now, mark kind of after the two thousand ten period and and actually not until two thousand and seventeen, so people know how recent this was, was teams and leagues started to realize, holy shit, like mental health is not just mental performance. It's not just how do I play better. There's this whole component of psychology and the stuff that we carry in this invisible bag we're all carrying around and how heavy that is and how that impacts how we enter each game day and how we enter each season, right? And so, what started to happen is and this was even after 2017, you had the NFL and the NBA require that mental health professional gets gets hired at each team, right? And I and and so I think what would be a great point to discuss right now is is you've got these mental health professionals okay and then you've separately got mental performance coaches who oftentimes work in the hockey operations side of things they work with the 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 strength and conditioning coaches right it's almost like a different part of the organization and separating out that there are you know what what lebron james talks about when he when he when he promotes the app com is mental performance it's training my brain you know to be stronger to be better what Oftentimes our players need, and my mind goes to the Ben Gordon Players Tribune article from a number of years ago where he was like, oh, they're hiring more mental health professionals for a team. What is some middle-aged woman with glasses going to be able to tell me about my life that I don't already know about my life, right? That was kind of his take on it. So hopefully that, that conversation of, of, of laying the groundwork now leads us to, you know, Theo, when I'm asking the question about did you have a mental health coach it sounds like no it sounds like you had a mental performance coach right and mark to your point same thing like the person who was trying to help you with
2: visualization that wasn't mental health really right no definitely not it was it was and it, it was mental performance um it, it still didn't work for, for me at least right um but i know you're right because and and the funny thing is in that moment like uh the first year um that I've been around uh, with this uh, staff member. I was having a good year, so I was never a target. I was never like someone who was sought after to to talk to because it was probably like he's doing well let's just <laughs> leave this individual alone which, is, which and, is
0: comical right if he's good on the ice he has to well be good at, at that's promise.
2: exactly like let's not let's not let's not change something fix them that's not that's broken right
1: that by the a, way mark mark I'm, I'm stopping you for a second just to make the relatability of what you just said to the everyday person the kid in the class who's not talking too much and not causing a ruckus. They're good, they're healthy, they're fine, they're okay, they're normal, they're performing. They don't need to go to the guidance counselor. The person in the office who is in, you know, asking about promotions or, you know, just does everything by the book, we don't have to worry about that person. You know, they're the perfect employee, right? Continue, but I want people to see that as like, we neglect what we don't, as institutions, we're like, that person's fine, they're
2: doing what they need to do, they're not the person we need to help at all. Absolutely. And that, that, <clears throat> that's kind of what it was like. It was, uh, you know, I was I was a consistent soldier. My performance is good. Let's, you know, if it's not broken. Let, no need to fix it. Let's just leave it over there. Uh, but it was the next year where I had a couple injuries in and out of the lineup, like very clearly in regardless of what's happening on the ice. Very clearly was just in my own mind as like everything kind of mentioned before, like the pressures of being at this level and staying at this level i just came off like a great season so in order for me to stay and flourish i don't have a really long leash to like be bad for too long um i have family who's in town i have you know a a relationship that's on my mind i have all these various things that are just weighing on me and it really does feel like life or death in the sense of like this is going to define me if i can stay at this level for a few more years and i'm set i'm straight and weighing all that but at the same time, you're like an in and out of the lineup. But every time you're in, you're still battling that injury you just came off of. So there's not that actual like confidence that you're just naturally going out there and doing what it is you second nature do. It was in that moment that I was like legit trying to avoid this individual in the locker room because I knew it was like, I'm a target right now. This person is looking at me way too often right now. I'm clearly like, it's like Terminator, you know, I'm like in their I'm in their crosshairs and I know that they're coming after me. And eventually, it did, and it was such like a feeling, and that's sort of like the stigma I guess we had around this particular, uh, you know, sports psychologist approach back then was, ah, damn. Now I'm like out. Now, now this individual knows that I'm struggling and I'm in my head, because when things were good, there was no conversation to be had. But now I'm I'm in a spot now where it must be so bad that others are looking at me being like, oh, we better talk to this guy. And that was now, it's like not also that's kind of adding to it and sort of the reluctancy to then be vulnerable because like, man, I only feel like I'm getting approached now because it's obvious that my production has gone down.
1: And I think that that's why, Mark, that's why you were the perfect guest, I thought, for this episode when we try to do things from a current events perspective is the NHL playoffs just started. The NBA playoffs just started. And it's beautiful what you just said because it wasn't something I, I thought you were going to go to, but it feeds into this is like – Okay, this is your time to shine. Whether you're a bubble player like you were just describing, okay, where am I going to make the roster? Am I going to get playing time? Um, it, it, are they going to shorten the roster and I'm not going to make it? Right? Um, am I just going to be a guy that's waiting to get in if there's a scratch? Or Theo, you know, you're you're you, this is your time to shine. You got to carry the team. You got to bring the team to a title. Is if. You had had someone who was talking with you, working with you, and not just you, Mark, not just you, Theo, everyone on the team. So it was normalized that you're talking and that change happens all the time. Guess what? This transition period of going into the playoffs where there's heightened intensity wouldn't feel like, Mark, the Terminator thing where they're searching for me and I'm the person who's on the bubble. Yeah, Theo, go ahead.
3: We were talking but not in in the context that you're talking about. You know, you would be out after a game and, you know, you have a few drinks in you and then you end up sitting at the end of a bar stool talking about, you know, real life stuff. You know, like my home, you know, my wife and I are fighting, you know, all this stuff. So So it was happening, but it just wasn't happening in the sense of, you know, a professional psychiatrist right you know guys guys were vulnerable guys were you know you, you knew when guys especially as a leader like you know when guys aren't you know themselves and so you know that dialogue was happening but the dialogue would stay right there it wouldn't go anywhere else right because you well, you you know what i mean like we were still talking about it but it wasn't in the context of you know the professional world, right? Or we do those, you know, the closed door meetings where you know everybody get to stand up, you get to air out, you know, what's going on and what's bothering you, and then you know, and then you move on from there. So there was different ways, but there was no professional mediator, you know, involved in in that conversation.
1: But that I think that is that's so key what you just shared there, right? Like and feel and maybe you had a more comfortable situation where you were able to have the beer and, and take the chair next to the guy who you were able to open up to. But if it's if we're comparing it to physical health, right? And if if Mark's working out and he needs to get his shots stronger, he's working on something in the gym where you know he's taking a bunch of different shots or he's 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 um slap shots, that is, um, or <laughs> or you know, he, he's working with bands, right, to get certain grip strength better or whatever it's it's systematic, right? He, it's happening over time. What you're describing is, oh, I'll help out a little bit here, I'll help out a little, bit, a little bit there, it's happening while I'm, while, I'm, while I'm socializing, and it's not part of a routine of a gym working the brain out, right? And so when Mark's saying, that person's looking at me and Terminator's happening, right? It's because now, oh, well now we notice with Mark, because he hasn't said anything before in a clinical sense, now, now, now is when we got to help him. Right. And and how much that's going to create even greater angst now is what
2: Mark's describing because Absolutely. now the spotlight's on you. It's a, it's like, uh, you know, I, I had a relationship with a strength conditioning coach before I needed to rehab my MCL. But once I needed to rehab my MCL, it's was like every day, we here's, here's our program. And you're, <laughs> this is how we're going to get you back. But it was exactly that once I was in that vulnerable or, or position where uh, you know, my game wasn't to It's, it's, Peak, and I needed perhaps that there was something, whether it was mental or not, like there's a lot of issues or, or situations, factors of why my physical body might have also been prohibiting me to play at my best at that point. But regardless, that then weighed on me mentally. And this exactly, I was caught in the crosshairs now. This professional being like, All right, now is when I'm going to start to build a relationship with them. Whereas for me, we're now to sit down and have this closed door conversation where I'm like, There is nothing i'm about to tell this individual that's going to be like intimate about myself because there hasn't been that like again i had that relationship with a strength coach well before i needed to rehab my knee so why not have a relationship with this type of a uh, of a sports psychologist professional or whatever it may be prior to you know feeling like oh i'm just being sought after now because the writing is so visibly on the wall that fraser's Mm -hmm. game needs help right now
3: yeah well and, and you know when it comes to skill development you know in any sport it's always repetition right and they they subscribe to the malcolm gladwell theory of ten thousand hours right the more i do one skill the more times i repeat it the easier you know it's going to become part of my nervous system it's going to become part of my body where i don't have to think right because hockey is a very reactionary sport so they coach us in a repetitive you know over and over again whereas if they would have taken a mental health approach to teaching the skill you might have picked up on it quicker and it might have been become more easier for you but they don't think that way you know they don't they don't think uh you know the 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 brain way I think like the mental part right you know and and uh, when that comes together you know, I think it'll be a lot easier to coach somebody who needs, you know, who needs a little bit more development, who needs a little bit more time, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I think if you, if you work on the mental part of it, guys will pick it up even quicker, don't you well,
1: think? Theo, what, when you and I went to colleges together on these college tours that we do, right, why did the school psychologists, the counseling centers, even the sports psychologists, why did they want us there? because we're a culture bridge, right? I said this when we had Emily Kaplan on the other day, because we use storytelling to show how life experiences are what makes up mental health, the challenges that we face, the day-to-day of what we go through. And by the way, this counselor that we have up on stage here right now is not there to shrink your brain and find out if you have depression or anxiety, and that's their only job. They're there to talk with you about life, because we all go through life and life is challenging, right? and 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 building off that, what makes makes me think of when we talk about playoffs is, look, you spend an entire season, you know, and you're playing, and the coach is rotating people in, they're rotating people out. and then playoff comes around, and they have to make difficult decisions, right? So a team already knows. this is what amazes me. A team already knows the same time every year, there's going to be a greater spotlight shined on Mark Fraser on Theo Fleury of, Am I getting more playing time? Am I getting less? Am I getting more uh, uh, line changes where I'm I'm on, where they move me up lines, right? Or are they taking me down off lines? Goalies, right? We have a lot of friends with goalies. Are they going to keep the rotation going? They usually don't. They usually stick with one hot goalie. And if I make up... What's, what's my impact going to be? What's my impact going to be, right? And the perspective that we as humans have, this is what I really want to get into because I'll share it from a non-professional athlete standpoint, but more working in business offices is we see the world and how we're performing through our perspective and our eyes i've been doing this so i think my organization my fan base whoever thinks of me in this way so my expectation is when this big moment happens playoffs this is how i'm going to be used and then sometimes that's not how we're used or we are used that way and we don't perform the way that we were expecting ourselves to perform so can you guys talk a little bit about you know i think back to, to darren was being a little crass at the beginning of this he's saying you know fans don't care about the players mental health I, i'd like to believe fans do have a heart but i think what he's sharing there a little bit more generally is that it's playoff time and we want you to score goals right so we think of these players as you guys are robots you guys hit a certain number all the time and you're going to make it happen or you're not and then also there's this the you know they're a high performer in a big situation, or they're not, and they shit the bed. Right? It's it's always one of those two. It's always binary. So, can you guys talk about what it's like when the big show happens, when your name does or doesn't get called, and then when it does get called, if you're not performing up to expectations, how does that impact you guys? I
2: I, I know for myself, at the first the first playoff game I got into uh, at the NHL level was with the Devils, and it was my rookie year in in. Uh, well, it was 0-9-10, I think, and um, we we're playing against Philly in the first round. <clears throat> we had home ice, but obviously Philly jerseys a big rivalry, and we were got down in the series. I think we were down two one rather quickly, and I got like you know Lou was flipping it or whoever Jacques Lemaire was the coach. So either one's incredibly old school <laughs> mentality, dude. But um, they're flipping the, the the lineup a little bit, uh, so I got my chance, and I had been. For the most, I think I played like 65 or so g- I missed the first part of this year to injury, 65 or so games, maybe a couple of healthy scratches here and there. So for the most part, like I was definitely contributing the majority of the this whole season. Didn't start for playoffs though. So then that's like whatever. That's whatever that is, as far as your in your head space. And then I get the chance to go. And it was just like it was my first NHL playoff game. And I could not get that out of my head as like. Be ready, bro. (laughs) Like, this is your first NHL playoff game. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. The stakes are high, Mark. And I just, like, couldn't get this out of my head. And I remember I I played terribly, and I didn't get another game in the rest of the series, and we lost in five. But I remember uh, being behind the net in the second period in Philly, getting that D-to-D pass on the left-handed defenseman, getting that D-to-D pass, and looking up the ice and literally not being able to make a play. And, like, move it, move it, move it. And then, boom, too late. I got hit by, I don't know, I think it might have even been, like, Braden Coburn or someone was in the forecheck. I don't know why. But then, boom, I get, or I didn't, like, make the play. I just decided to, like, eat it and protect it. But then, like, it gets stuck in our zone, poked off of me, boom, boom, in the net. And I just remember thinking, like, what the hell happened? And it was a moment where, of course, then the rest of the game and after the game, in, in my mind, like, I 100% just caused us the loss. Like, I can't remember if it was a game-winning goal or not. It was a second period, so there's still been plenty of time to get it back. But it most certainly didn't help our uh, our attempt at winning the game. And at the end of that, we were down 3-1 to one in the series. So I'm like, here we are, a team who had, had home ice advantage. We're now down 3-1 in the series. And Mark Fraser is solely to blame for this. And not to say it was any reason other than just my own – uh, self-sabotaging, which which also happens that time. And, and Eric, I have mentioned this to you in the past as well. And I don't know, Theo, maybe you could, could speak on this too. And I'd love to hear your playoff, you know, experiences mentally. But you've obviously been a big game performer too, so there's probably some ways that you were able to uh, push that to the side. But uh, it, it's it's like the thing I'm most con- the thing I'm best at in life, which was being a hockey player. I made it to the NHL. Like I think I could say that was one of the best things I, I succeeded at in life. Was also the thing I like was the most insecure about. And because I was a defensive defenseman and I wasn't, you know, sexy Paul Coffey or Niedemeyer skater, um, I wasn't the offensive dude. I was, you know, the, I played good defense and the Devils made sure of that. But I was a physical presence beyond that, stuck up with the teammates and, you know, just a leader and a good locker room guy. And I, and I could I could hang and bang. But because of that, I I would let like my own uh, – I, I would self-sabotage in the sense where I would let my own awareness – of what my weaknesses were affect my ability to actually do things I was good at. So I couldn't, in that moment, just take a D to D and like, with like, Oh, fake up the boards, but no hit the low center in the middle. I just like froze because I was like, man, you ain't ready for this. You're you're not like that kind of guy where you're going to thrive in the playoffs right now. And it was strange, but I I, I legit, I remember, I, I still clearly can remember this. It was over 10 years ago. I could just remember, like, my actual being that physical body in that corner of the ice, just not being able to, like, want to do what my brain was telling my body to do. And I couldn't understand why I was like that. But then I carried that for a while with me being like, I'm... Um, that i was like i was embarrassed i was embarrassing and now now you're going through that rabbit hole of like now i'm embarrassed my teammates are probably all talking shit behind my back like all these things are happening. the coaches have lost confidence in me these fans probably hate my my guts maybe i hope i didn't but maybe i read a negative article written about me and then it's just that spiral mentally so i was able to get a second attempt with the leafs and playoff hockey and that was much better and <laughs> I contributed in a much better way up until Luchic shattered my skull with a slap shot and I was done for the season. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, point being, I guess it, it was it was this thing I had in me like that, that I carried sometimes, where even in my most the thing I knew I was best at in the world that all my childhood friends were like, man, you're not confident. And what do you feel like? We look at you like this guy's crushes it. And I'm like, man, I compare myself to my peers being like tell myself sometimes like, you don't you don't belong here, you don't deserve to be here. And I can never really understand why that was because generally I'm a confident person, but it, it just was this like block in my brain that wouldn't let me ever believe I was actually as good as perhaps I, I could be.
1: Mark, I, I and Theo is gonna chime in here, but I'm also gonna set Theo up, not just about his hockey experience, and he's smiling because he probably knows where I'm going with this because we finish each other's sentences a lot is, Theo, I, I consider like an armchair psychologist for the amount of time that he's done this. And Mark, like what you just brought up is case in point why mental skills training can't be the only thing that we do. If if you had someone who is just like, Mark, we're gonna drill you through, you know, passing the right way when you get in the game, passing the right way when you get in the game, passing the right way when you get in the game. What you're describing there is a trauma response. That's history there of not just how you think about yourself with hockey because theo tell me if i'm again if i'm if i'm finishing your sentences here i'm not good enough i'm not worthy for it right do i even exist i know that sounds weird stuff to hear mark right because we don't usually think about ourselves that way when we're hockey players but that's a response to things when we overthink about anything in life and we question anything that's what starts to get in the way right and so Case in point, why working on the past and the things that we've been through and clearing that closet out or that bag that we carry is so important. Probably come back to you, Mark, because I want to hear your take on that. But Theo, one, was I going down the right path of that? Two, as, yeah. as compared to you and your career.
3: Well, I would say 99.9% of the people that I work with individually in this space feel not good enough. The majority mm-hmm. of people, that is their MO, right? Or uh, you know, a lot of people feel abandoned and neglected in life. Um, a lot of people don't feel lovable, and then you know, the ultimate one is, do I even exist in the world? You know, and those are trauma responses from childhood traumas, right? And
1: uh, and Theo, when you're saying trauma to make Mark feel more comfortable here, yeah. anyone anyway, else listening to this, trauma doesn't necessarily mean like my grandmother took a knife to me when i was younger right like it could mean something as simple as like when my parents were going to watch my brother play a sport one day they decided to leave me home and not bring me to it because they didn't think like where our brain goes to from a developmental standpoint when decisions are made or we interpret what those decisions are we internalize them
3: yeah yeah and you know like for me uh, it's DNA okay you know I wanted to be in the spotlight I was so capable the bigger the game the better I played you know it was just part of how I was made up you know then when the game's tied to two I want the puck on my stick I want to be in the slot I want to have that opportunity that you know that was my attitude right and I would say most times I succeeded uh, but the times I failed were the times that I still think about. You know what I mean? Because, because uh, you know, when you, when you get to the NHL, you know, you dream about Stanley Cups. You dream about making, you know, the iconic play that gets captured, you know, forever. And, you know, I saw it this year again. You know, they started Hockey Night in Canada. They start the playoffs. Who's sliding down the ice on his knees? Me. But that's what I trained for. That's, you know, I wanted to be that guy. But not everybody's like that, you know? And, and uh, you know, it kind of breaks my heart that you had that experience, you know? And that nobody was there to sort of pick you up and say, you know what? Fuck! If you play this game long enough, you're gonna have a fucking brain fart. <laughs> it's happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, that's that's just part of part of the game that we play. You know, is that certain situations are gonna come, and you know we're not gonna be our best selves. But the fact that you're you've carried this your whole entire life that you had that opportunity and And you had a bad experience and then nobody was there to like say, you know what, fuck it. It happens. You know, I've given up fucking, I've served up so many pizzas in my life, (laughs) you you know, but the thing was, is, you know, I went back to the bench and I knew that I could overcome the mistake that I made. right? Because I had enough skill, I had enough talent, and
2: you know yeah. all that stuff. Had a longer, <clears throat> a longer leash.
3: Yeah, I, yeah, real long leash, you know. And uh, but you know, sometimes that happens. Ask Dan, ask Dan Marino. Ask Dan Marino. He doesn't have a rock. He doesn't have a rock. One of the greatest quarterbacks ever to live, be on this planet. He doesn't have a rock, you know. And it's like that's that's sports. That's that's what we do, right? We but Theo, you could probably
1: be... compare, you know, obviously Mark's describing what happened at the beginning of his career, that, that first example with the Devils in the playoffs against Philly, but I'm assuming, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, there were times when you played, let's use the Chicago Blackhawks as an example, where you got on the ice and you're like, wait a second, does the team think highly enough of me? Are they putting me in the game enough? Am I performing enough, right? Like, it wasn't always rainbows and butterflies, even though to your point, your DNA, right? And and, and I, what I wanna share with everyone out there is but like-
3: the, but the thing about adversity is, is, you know, adversity builds resilience in us and keeps us going, you know, and and yeah, you might've had, Uh, a bad experience in that five seconds but what it did is it built resilience in you and kept you you know going right and and I think that's something we we don't look at is you know the there are important lessons in life right and those lessons you know keep us going keep us moving forward keeping keep wanting us to improve you know uh not only in in what we do but what we when we're away from the rink you know what i mean and so and so your story you're going to have the opportunity now because you're in player development you're going to share that story with some kid who's had just had the same experience as you and and, and you're going to help them right you know what i mean And so so there's always great lessons in failure and i learn more from you know losing than i ever did winning because winning is easy everything's good everybody's confident it's it's that adversity piece that that creates you know the mark fraser of today you know that now you're in a position where you're going to see that happen to some kid and you're going to bust your ass down to the dressing room after the game and you're going to say hey man don't worry about it same thing happened to me same thing happened to me. And this is an opportunity now for you to take this lesson and become better.
2: That, that, that reminds me of a, of a story I heard last, I think it was maybe last summer. Um, so, uh, a former teammate of mine, uh, Mike Koska I played with him in Toronto. Um, he, uh, he's just completed in not odd with you right now. Um, his master's is actually his master's in sports psychology. <laughs> so he, uh, but one of the cool things he said he did so obviously he, he was a 27 year old rookie with the maple leafs uh when you know career minor league guy finally got a sniff in the lockout in the 12 13 lockout was going through a divorce uh you know all these things are happening he's from ajax like there's so outside toronto so like all these things are happening and then boom he makes it to the nhl for the first time and he's kind of in the space of why he's wanting to get into this work and he's already a psych minor in his in his uh undergrad but you know, in that exact moment, he's like, I didn't have anyone. So he uh, was, he joined in on a Zoom call this year for, I think, this past uh, summer for the Maple Leafs, uh, I don't know, you know, rookie camp or whatever it was. And they were speaking to um, Meg Popovich, who's now currently uh, the, I don't know if it's a title, but it's essentially the sports psychologist for the Maple Leafs. Um, and these, all these young prospects, all these young rookies, these new draftees were just on this zoom call, like kind of crappy, you know, that their rookie camp has to be virtual, but they're doing it anyways. And I think they had Wendell Clark and a couple players come speak or Costco, sorry, one of the guys speaking as well, but, uh, John Tavares was the only guy speaking. And he told these kids, and one of the things that Costco now is like retired, but thought was really cool to like sit down and listen to was JT talking about, uh, his rookie year. And, you know, this kid being a phenom, like he, you know, got the exemption rule and major junior to play at OHL well before all that stuff. Right. So this kid's coming up the whole way. He's the best. He's the best. He's the best. He make, he's his rookie year in the NHL, whatever, 19 years old. And he starts off like, you know, OK, and then just hits a slump for like a month and a half. He's just in this slump. And he's only ever been John Tavares, like the OG, and now he's just in this slump. And there's this expectation that he's a savior for the Islanders and all this type of stuff. And Costco was just loving it, and I think these kids were too because he's like, I, I it was so such a unique perspective to hear such an all star and someone we look at as John Tavares being like, man, this guy is just like a machine. You know, he's he's just the perfect professional in so many ways to just be vulnerable and be like, I really struggled. Because all this weight was on my shoulders to now, like, be this guy. And things started off all right. But then when I hit this slump, it was like, well, shit, bro. Like, uh, we thought you were better than this. <laughs> we, you know. We thought, and just, like, hearing for these young, to your point, Theo, like, me being in a position now where I can share these messages or these experiences and the, the lessons we learned through the adversity with the next generation of athletes or individuals, whoever it may be. But the same thing, like even if a guy like John Tavares can be like, I had like right off the hop in my professional career was faced with like, oh boy, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Uh, Nothing I'm trying is working. But eventually, obviously, he gets through it and look what's happened. But it's just like learning from those lessons that those who we have at times on such a pedestal are also, I mean, this is the whole point, I guess, of this this podcast and these conversations, right? Is those who we admire from a distance are experiencing the exact same thing that we all experience. But it's about how we kind of overcome and how we we get through it and the lessons we learn from it to realize that we're not really unique at all in that space and that everyone deals with this. So you just say, sort of like using that reference of me being in a position now where I can share with, you know, the, the, the players now or the prospects, whoever I'm working with, with the Maple Leafs. I mean, and that's not even my space, right? My space is an EDI, but because I'm a former athlete and have that relatability, this is also just part of me building a relationship with them. So if I do have an EDI or, or ask for them later on in my own lane, there's this relationship that's been built because like man when phrase comes to talk to me, he talks to me like he's just like you know an older brother. He talks to me he's not a coach, He's not one of these people. He's a legit guy who's been there before who's just trying to like lean on some of his own experiences to help us be better. And that that is like that is so powerful in the locker room these days because those types of relationships haven't really been there in the in the past. Right. That was like there was no one who was re- I mean, other than maybe I don't know if this happened. No, you either you either
3: made it or you're a career minor leader. You know, oh, like, for, yeah, for sure. When I got to the NHL, there was 21 teams. OK, so you, there was no time for them to develop players. <laughs> yeah. You got your chance. Yeah. You had to make an impact or you're going back to the minors. You know, you weren't allowed to make mistakes.
1: And think about how, how many people we miss out on as organizations when that's our philosophy, right? Because Mark and Theo tell me if, uh, I'm sharing this for the CEO who's listening to this, for the manager of a department who's listening to this. By Tavares, by the way, Islander fan, so side note. But by Tavares sharing that um, vulnerability, does that make you think that, JT is now going to mess up more in the future just because he shared what happened to when he was younger? Or does it make you think part of the reason why he's the kick-ass player that he is right now is because he's learned from the mistakes that he made when he was younger or the challenges that he faced when he was younger, right?
3: It it made him better.
1: It made him better. That's what I'm saying. Because that was
3: the first time in his life he faced any adversity at all.
1: And it didn't, it, and it doesn't make you as his teammate or as someone who's listening to him, right? And a former player you're saying was listening to him, Mark, look at him and say, oh shit, he's gonna shit the bed when it's a big spot coming up. We can't rely on this guy. And the reason I bring that up is because we have CEOs working in corporate America offices or around the world for that matter, who wear the blue pinstripe suit and the pastel tie and the brown shoes and they're Teflon Don or Donna, right? And they don't do anything wrong. And what that makes all the kids in the office, right? I can say that now being the age I am, I guess, but the twenties or something, look at those CEOs and say, the only way to the corner office is perfection. I, 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 and then it makes the Mark Frazier's of the world say, well, I fucked up that one play on the blue line. I can't ever be Niedemeyer, right? And that's the, that's the negative spiral that happens as opposed to psychological safety is one of the greatest determinants of success of a team. And if Theo, instead of the, the competition that you're describing that existed, you either made it happen or you didn't, right? Back in the day became, what did you learn from that? How do we get over that? How do we make it so that that makes you even a better player moving forward?
2: Think about how Absolutely. much better we'd be as organizations. Well, that, that's like the, to the point I, I brought up earlier with, uh, Tavares, like there then fast forward, you know, he then becomes, I won't speak on anything now, but he then becomes the captain of the Maple Leafs. And, you know, for any hockey or sports fan, like we know, like that's huge, right? That responsibility, it is huge to be, to, to, and to have the honor of rocking the sea for that organization. And then he's obviously signed to a big ticket contract, all these things. And if the, you know, pressures of Toronto media and this dude's not performing in the past couple of years since he's had the captaincy at whatever level, it's all this criticism. Not to say he's paying attention to criticism, but you just know it's that added pressure. And again, because part of it we put on ourselves, right? So he doesn't need to read a newspaper or listen to a radio station to know that his at this moment to start, you know, his second year as a team captain or something and making this up is struggling. He knows that himself, but because of his experience when he was a rookie with the Islanders, he also knows that eventually this tide will turn and he'll come out of it. So he's been able to learn from that experience. And to your point earlier, Theo, be better for that, right? Because he's, he's then gained that value and that lesson learned by, by uh, being resilient through that adversity. So he knows like, Looking back at it, I mean, the totality of his career, I don't think anyone's going to be like, hey, remember that month where he wasn't scoring? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because his body of work is just too incredible that we've forgotten about all that. But it doesn't change the fact that in that moment, it's just now that out of pressure. All these people are crapping on, man, why do we sign this guy for so much? He's old, he's the whatever. And then he comes out of it, everyone starts praising him again. But it's like when he was in that dark moment, you know, before the sun rose on him again, was he still doing what he had to do to just daily get through while also being a parent, being a husband, being a leader, not bringing his own BS into the positive environment of a transitioning locker room and all this type of stuff. And or and like still doing it all with a smile on his face to turn around and then be like, uh-huh, I'm finally out of like the storm. And I'm back to just like being, you know, things are clicking for me again, and you can ride that wave all over again. But it it really is about like like at least over sort of the athlete side, and I guess it's just human nature side of us. But you know, to to have that acknowledgement of your your most certainly not the only one who experiences that first off, but you know, it, it's it's about I don't know what the advice is, but I know from speaking as an athlete, it's it's sticking. Understanding that that there's like seasons of change too is like something that helped me out a lot. That whatever I'm going through now, it could be okay. I was up last year, but now I signed this. You know, with this like signing in Ottawa was brutal for me. I I thought it was going to be great because I was a local boy and there was all this promise of what they wanted to do with me. And then it was just boom, buried in the minors. Then I'm in like Ottawa minor system, which is so much worse. And and it just was like. and bingo. Yeah, exactly. How about this for a story? So me me, and the same guy, Mike Koska, we were reunited uh, as teammates in Binghamton. I was in camp with the Leafs. It was when I followed Lemorello to Toronto because my second stint was back with Lemorello in Jersey. He then goes to Toronto. So I'm like, OK, I'll go with him too. And then the Sens pinched me during training camp and like basically offered me a nice deal. So I'm like, OK, what I thought was a nice deal, at least. So I did it. It didn't work out. But now we're down in Binghamton. I move into this place at costco got a nice three bedroom like kind of split level crib uh we got no curtains up just yet so we're looking right out of our window and we're right on the city line of johnson city and binghamton so literally across the street is a sign that says welcome to binghamton but beyond that immediately across the street is a cemetery so we're just looking at all of these two <laughs> a welcome to binghamton sign and no curtains. And we were both looking at each other like, man, our career, we came here to die. <laughs> like our, our, <laughs> our careers are not going to last here whatsoever. But honestly, it was a miserable seat. Like, thank God we had each other. Yeah. But it was a miserable season. But again, it was just like the next year was different again. And it was it's like about calming these storms. And I guess, you know, there's so much that you can't control as well. And I learned very young in my career, you can't stress about what you can't control because – there's a lot of times, and in, in, in I felt with the Devils, you know, they they, we, they had a glass ceiling over us as far as, you know, you're not that type of player. So don't be trying to do that. And what that kind of does to prohibit your confidence, exactly, exactly, and minimize, like what you. and then uh, I probably inherently am still carrying parts of that with me, right? No, that's not me. I can't do that. That's why I was crapping on myself. You can't make that play, Mark. It was because I was never being like empowered or told I could. But anyways, it's just, it's really interesting to kind of like dive into that a little bit more because these are especially like transitioning now into a whole new field. There's so much value. I know I bring to this position and there's so many skills I know I have as a transitioning athlete that I've learned at the pro level that are very valuable in corporate. But at the same time, I'm the dude who's like, it takes me five hours to make a one page or PowerPoint. <laughs> like that. I got to send out to people that are like, half of them probably aren't going to read. And I'm trying to like, prevent myself from breaking my computer with frustration. But at the same time, when I get boots on the ground, like on, on in the locker rooms, I know that there's no one else in the organization who can do exactly what I'm doing. So it's like, it, there's so much value that I bring, but I, I'm still in the mindset at times of like, man, you can't, you're in over your head right now. You can't do this right now. And and I don't know how exactly to, you know, silence that always. But I, I certainly know that it's something that everyone experiences. And, and it's certainly not, um, you know, no one's really immune from that.
3: Well, we talk about this all the time, Eric, is, is those fucking labels that you get attached to, you and, and you just, it's so hard to get rid of them, right? You know, and the, the John Tavares example is a really good example, because he got labeled right away. Superstar, offensive guy, you know, and as you get older, you realize that it's not about fucking getting points in the regular season. It's about what you do in the playoffs where you, where your legacy, you know, is going to lay for the rest of your life. Right. So, you know, he's probably an unbelievable leader, but nobody talks about that because he's not fucking scoring goals and he's not making plays, but since he's been there the Leafs are are one of the elite teams in the NHL nobody looks at he's wearing the C he's the leader and they're at the top right they're at the top right you know what I mean and so and so you know he's mentally strong enough to not read his own press clippings he knows that the end goal and the reason why he went to Toronto is he wants to win a Stanley Cup in Toronto and when you when you, when you take, when you take the offensive thing out of it, and he knows that I have to be a great leader now. I have to inspire Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and uh, Nylander to to become complete players. Right? It's like the story I heard about Steve Iserman. when Scotty Bowman was hired as the Detroit Red Wings. Stevie Y was getting 150 points a year in the NHL. So Scotty gets hired, calls Stevie Y into his office and says, I don't want you to get 150 points anymore. I want you to get 80 points and I want you to be our best defensive player. And Stevie's like, perfect. And what happened? Stevie Y won three Stanley Cups. Simple as that. Right? Because it's not about, in the playoffs, it's not about offense.
1: So, just- so the average person who's hearing this is not a hockey player, right? So I'll go back to my own experience. We have in offices we have performance appraisals once a you know twice a year or whatever it is, right? We meet with our boss, we find out how they think we're doing and what their plan is for us moving forward, right? And so, granted, you know some people might not like that I'm comparing this, but the spotlight is shine on you as an individual as your worth as an employee. Um, in this organization two times, sometimes maybe more a year. You have conversations with your significant other if you're just dating someone for the first time, and then you start to have the talk, right? And you find out, is this person really into me or are they not? Are we moving forward or are we not, right? So these spotlights on us situations happen to us pretty frequently in life, similar to how you guys are describing this happens to you in hockey talk about the stage of the playoffs what does the team think of me can i perform in this place uh am i good enough and i think one understanding that we as people are always going to be going through the evaluation of what is what other people think of us because unfortunately we get judged a lot of times that doesn't mean we should internalize it i'm just saying it's a process that happens and that the best mentors that we have because i'll tell you that in having performance appraisals I wouldn't go in with expectations you know obviously in my mind I would think well shit we just raised ticket sales numbers by two million over last year that's a pretty good jump right and you would hope that leads towards more responsibility let alone if it's more salary or more more title but at least more responsibility and you had leaders who either said you know and you had to sometimes think are they saying this because they themselves are dealing with their own shit right like this is what we have for you, this is what next year is, this is what it looks like, you're gonna stay in the same spot like nothing else and no explanation. Which by the way, if that's the answer that you get from your coach, from your boss, from whoever it is, the best people you can learn from, who if that person is not, doesn't think that you're ready for that next step, they explain to you why. And they help you understand why. And they're a coach with you. Mark, this is your point about what you're giving to this organization they're hand holding you because they want you. You know in your heart that they want you to get better and get to that place, right? Where we get caught in those trauma responses back to kind of how it develops earlier in life is we hear from people, you're not good enough or you shouldn't get that spot or you're not ready for that, which oftentimes is just a reflection of them. We internalize that, we think that about ourselves and we can't get out of that. So why do I share that whole picture? Is because whether you're a hockey player whether you're an average everyday person, right, you're going to be in situations where you're being evaluated. Take the evaluation from whom it comes. If it's someone who is genuine and wanting to help you to get to a place they just don't think you're ready, listen to the advice and see what it can help you. If there's someone who's just being a complete jackass, because that's who they are and they want to keep you back, also understand that, Don't internalize it and say to yourself, how in the future can I handle this situation differently? Or do I want to work with or for somebody else? That way we don't develop these difficult patterns that we have that we have to work out of for the rest of our life.
2: Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's a very good point. So in
1: the last couple of minutes here, Mark, you know, I, I. told you i'd bring this up and and i think it's important for people to hear you know whether it's edi dei diversity equity inclusion yeah you know, same different thing. ways different ways that different organizations <laughs> yeah. but but that's your role within the toronto organization right now you know a m- lot of hockey fans listening so people know that toronto is kind of like the yankees of hockey for those who don't understand don't follow hockey now you know it um and so, you know, in the spot you're in, I'm not saying anything I think that is, is, you know, breaking news to anyone. There's not a lot of black players in the NHL. There's more than there were, but there's not a lot. Um, and there's the fan base is primarily white as well, right? Again, still changing, but primarily. If you wouldn't mind talking first about a player and now in the role that you're at right now, the difficulty of facing that when, when you are in the minority relative to the rest of the player base to the, to the rest of the fans, my mind goes to what I saw Ryan Reeves do um, last year um, with all the the stuff that was going on from a current event perspective and bringing different team uh, players together from different teams to talk and how vocal and how he was, how difficult is that number one? And then where are the opportunities number two to really help bring about societal change?
2: Yeah. The first part, uh, so for my, myself and my own experiences uh, playing like a, a lot, let me just preface by saying a lot of my experiences in hockey were good, you know, were great. And and the reason I'm speaking with y'all right now is because I had a pretty good career and, uh, you know, might be bringing, able to bring some value or, or perspective to the conversation today. But obviously along the way, the the 14-year t- pro year, pro career um, and obviously the juniors and everything before that in minor hockey... Um, you know, I just retired a year ago, and I'm, what, am I 34 now, so arguably for over 30 years of my life, right, was, was the game, and in that, there was constant experiences, though, that were difficult because uh, of the color of my skin, and <clears throat> what largely made it difficult, or at least, like, was maybe, like, an added pressure that a lot of my peers and fans and just general stakeholders in the game are never really aware of is I mean, just for a second, if if we could imagine what it's like to every single room, either you guys walk into, you're the only one who looks like you <laughs> and all of them, like, and again, hockey was good. I'm a Canadian kid. Hockey was good to me. All the boys were always good. Like it wasn't in a way that I felt like I I, I, I was never comfortable. Now there's times where I couldn't always like be myself because I certainly sort of didn't want to lean too heavily into like my, my ethnic culture being like half Jamaican because there's a zero representation of people who look like me in this building in a senior level, whether that be coach, GM, president, owner, whatever, whatever. So, it would be self-sabotaging into a detriment if I'm too much of something that's unfamiliar to everybody here. And I had to make myself uh, I, the word, the way I say it is, I had to be more easily digestible to all my peers. Always now, there's a lot of ways where I could just be, you know, one of the boys, and that's cool. But the thing that a lot of my peers don't didn't realize is when you're black. Or whatever your uh, you know, visible minority ship is. But when you're black from my experience and you're a hockey player, or whatever industry you're in that might be predominantly white with very little representation of folks like yourself, there's an a pressure to have to be perfect in order to survive. Because if I make a mistake and someone else makes a mistake, whether that be you know, like off ice issues or like uh, something around the locker room or just perhaps the way I'm conducting myself, I'm looked at it as like, there, you, there, this is just a bias and we all have biases and it's okay. We all have them because we all have them from our own perspectives of walking in our own shoes and just seeing the world the way we've seen it. But the bias for against the black hockey player in that situation is if this guy does something that we aren't quite familiar with, or we don't quite tolerate well, as a black guy, it's like it's like easier to rip that bandaid off and kind of like get rid of that asset opposed to a, a white athlete who. Okay, well we didn't like that he did that, but he's still a good asset. So let's keep him around, maybe we can work with this individual. You know, Josh, uh, uh, what's his name? Josh Hosang is, is an exa- perfect example of this. But there's been a number and I never had that type of uh I was a good guy. I didn't have to worry about my rep in any way. But what I'm saying is one of the added pressures that was constantly felt that was whether it's put on myself by myself or just from the environment I'm in is every time I'm in this law lo- in the, entering this building, I have to be consciously or subconsciously aware that one, I'm the only individual who looks like me, meaning I have to walk such a perfect line to be accepted by my peer group. Because if I deviate in any way, it's potentially too detrimental to my existence in this industry. And that is one of like the added pressures and, and really big challenges of Uh, having to be black in the space of hockey is that there's very little forgiveness and, and, and understanding of, of our experience and there and just familiarity with who we are that from a cultural side, that if we do anything that's too unfamiliar, it's this looked at as, well, that we don't do that here. So peace out to you, you know? And that that was something that was always a big challenge. And I know it's still a challenge in, in hockey the way it is now with, with players of color.
1: So someone who's in the position that you're in where you have the ability to educate and to help people better understand from a global perspective, Mark, is the, is, maybe the answer is both simultaneously, is the answer to provide that perspective to some of the black players that you mentor throughout the league, not just with, 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 with any one particular team. Hey, this is this is how I had to play it, this is how you have to play it, or is the goal, to start to educate the rest of the league this is what my background this is what my heritage is this is what I'm comfortable <clears throat> doing this should be acceptable I should be able to
2: be myself it's it's the latter in the sense so it's definitely educating the rest of the league the rest of the players the rest of the athletes coaches managers staff um, and this is why because when something pops off like last year and George Floyd is murdered. And then following that, you know, there's, you know, the rise in Black Lives Matter and, and whatever else in his movement. And then it gets to a point where Jacob Blake is killed and then the NBA shuts down. And then everyone, soccer, tennis, uh, even NASCAR, said Black Lives Matter before the NHL did. Um, all these other leagues shut down. Because at that moment, all they're doing is nothing political. It's nothing about any of those agendas. It's straight up just saying, Look, these athletes, these stakeholders, these fans, these these ushers, these you know con- custodians, concession attendants, they're all there's there's individuals that are hurting right now that are part of our industry, and some of these are hitting really close to home. So we just need to take a 48-hour timeout pause to just acknowledge some of like what's actually happening outside of these four walls right now. And when hockey didn't have that same sort of response uh, first, what that is saying to the Ryan Reeves or Nazem Kadri's or the guys who were still playing at that time is what you guys feel when you walk out of this locker room, when you guys go out of this bubble and you're just in society, you, you're not looked at as a hockey player anymore. A lot of places Ryan Reeves goes, people don't assume he's a hockey player. And like, oh, you're the guy from like, no, come on. So he's just a, a, a dude and big guy, threatening dude in black skin with a couple sleeves of tattoos. So how the world then perceives him and how hockey wasn't able to, open their eyes up to that perspective is basically telling these athletes who are involved in their game who are playing at really high stakes both like for societal reasons and for professional like sport reasons um that their lived experiences don't necessarily matter as much as like our tv contract and and just like the show must go on and winning a game tomorrow and and fighting for a championship so my response is to, to all that what that was happening was I look at the NBA when, when the boycott first happened and there's, you know, Chris Weber and the and Jet Smith and all that. guys are grown men are in tears on television being like, something's too big right now. Like I, I don't feel right being broadcasting this right now. And then I turn on to hockey and it's like the show must go on. There's games as usual is kind of happening. And what I'm trying to teach is we don't even need to look in society to realize the different perspectives that are being represented. We can just look in our locker room. The Maple Leafs right now, they have Nick Robertson who's Filipino, and they got Wayne Simmons, black guy. And if you are able, during an international protest, where there's many of them are peaceful protests, before things started wilding out and getting crazy, uh, but we don't need to get into that, but for what it was, was obviously just speaking on humanitarian reasons. Look, we saw modern day lynching. No matter what color of the skin George Floyd had, we saw modern day lynching. He did not deserve to lose his life, most certainly not like that. And in the casualness of what happened and then in response to it that followed, if you can still tie your skates the next day and go out on the ice thinking like nothing's mattering, but you're doing it right beside a black guy who, and you're not even having the awareness. And you're like, Hey, Simmer, turn that music up a little bit, would you? Good day today. Right. Yeah. Yada, yada. And you're not realizing that like this dude's actually really fucking hurting inside because of not just, I mean, we don't want to talk about trauma. We're not just talking about like the trauma of watching that experience or the couple of months or whatever that fall we're talking about generational trauma for black people when it comes to experiences black indigenous latino hispanic when it comes to experiences with the police and and with um judicial systems and, and just with systemic racism so it's not just what simmers feeling today It's also what he has been feeling from what his parents have taught him, from what he's learned from history books, from what his grandparents have taught him, from realizing that he actually and his heritage comes from a different continent that was actually kidnapped and brought here to begin with hundreds of years ago. So with all that generational trauma, for us to still in hockey have the mindset of like, well, so what? We still got a game tomorrow. That to me is like we're just not allowed to be ignorant in those spaces anymore. It's, it's too much of a detriment to the direction of where our league and our sport is trying to actually go and the inclusiveness of what we're trying to build. The Toronto Maple Leafs play in the exact same building as the Toronto Raptors. And on any given night when one team's playing versus the other, those crowds are incredibly different looking. But one actually reflects how Canada looks on the daily, how you go to a Toronto mall, you go to a Toronto school, you go to a, a a church, wherever it is, you go to parks, multicultural as hell. But when you go to the hockey rink, it's not. So that's why for my position, it's a lot more about educating the rest of the players because the minorities don't need to be educated on the minority experience, but it takes the majority to understand and to feel what the minorities are, have been living through to then actually get as outraged, as pissed off and as loud because the minorities with the megaphone aren't going to be heard. There's 400 years. Black people have been trying to get this message out, but the more that my white peers can understand the more that a guy like uh blake wheeler who says something that, uh, i love what he said during all this on his social media connor carrick ben Scribbins, these are some guys who weren't just like oh i am against but like no real statements of unity and saying like i'm putting my money where my mouth is my wife and i here's where we've been donating i've challenged all you fans who follow me to do the same that type of like response is is like to be straight up, the reason I have the job I have right now is because John Tavares decided to wear Black Lives Matter T-shirts when the return to play happened in the bubble. When I saw that happen, I maybe never needed to hear that message before. But when I saw that message, that that statement, that little olive branch of these guys just wore a T-shirt with these three little words on it, that three little words that are pissing off a lot of people, but they're three little words that are just saying, like, all we're saying is that this house is on fire right now. I'm not saying that all houses aren't important, but one's on fire. So it needs someone a little bit more attention than the other nine. And that's all that statement is. But him doing that sent me a message as a former black Toronto Maple Leaf hockey player to find my voice, to be, to find the the, the uh, courage, really, to reach out to management and encourage them to start looking in the diversity and inclusion space in, as far as it comes to hockey. Fast forward eight months later, myself and my colleague Justin Bob got hired. You know, but it was literally because my white peers wore a T-shirt that has said something to me that look where this snowball effect has gone, has gone, has gone. And I've been able to tell John that now face to face. And he's so humble, you know, he just takes it in stride. But I'm like, I really need you to know that that little olive branch is like, that's the type of education and worth I'm trying to bring. So I know that's a long winded answer, but for me, it's really just about we all have blind spots. And that's okay. I'm not trying to force feed anyone. Here's what's wrong with hockey. No, nah, I'm not trying to do any of that. We all have blind spots, and we just need to acknowledge that we have those blind spots. Because if you do, you'll then realize oh my God, during the pandemic, anti Asian hate has been something that's been continuously growing. People are getting, you know, killed, literally murdered. People are being spat on, kicked in the street, beat up. People's masks are being ripped off, people, whatever, 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 right? People just aren't being treated fairly who are very clearly identifying as Asian uh, uh, American or Asian Canadian citizens. If you can just go to work and you have an Asian person beside you and you're talking about like, you know, the employee experience and we're all a family here, but you just keep asking, hey, do you mind getting that report in for me, blah, blah, blah. And you never once think like, wow, this guy might be reading articles like bleeding inside internally or like crying internally because his people are being killed. And so it's just about dropping our our blinders and having a little bit more awareness that, you know, it's okay that we're not perfect. But if you can identify areas to be better, then let's try to be better. A straight up is all it is you know hockey's a culture right now that i'm afraid it's a it's a blockbuster and it's about to get netflixed and we need to do we need to do what we can to kind of wake that up and bring that into modern time a little bit
1: no, as uh, is a great detailed answer and i think it's going to help a lot of people understand a broader perspective you know we don't shy away from here although we don't delve into politics we've shared that like Theo publicly puts you know a certain politics out one way, and Darren publicly puts politics out another way. and so when it comes to like social issues and social conversations, unfortunately, I think politics gets brought into social conversations almost in 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 too direct of a way and and you know being a human being and seeing some of the things that you see and having a teammate next to you and understanding whatever your political beliefs are, someone who just saw something that happened to someone who at first one-to-one looks like them, right? But then the bigger picture is a human being, right? Like, you know, and, and having that that broader perspective, I'll say this, Mark, like the, the league needs, the world needs more people like you who can explain what you just explained, because I think unfortunately what happens is the campaigns and the and the buzzwords become shouted from different sides. And it becomes, what you were just saying is our house is on fire right now. We don't, doesn't mean other houses don't go on fire, right? That explanation to help the people who don't have the perspective is needed. It's needed, so unfortunately, because we all grow up with different experiences right and and you'd hope that wouldn't be the case you'd hope it'd be we'd be able to take a step back and look at things from each other's perspective that doesn't always happen naturally but i just want to congratulate you maybe that congratulates the wrong term thank you for the work that you're doing because it's a needed piece of this it's a reason why we have a podcast mark is because the nuance of social issues the nuance of mental health Cannot be addressed accurately, correctly, appropriately, on
2: Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nuanced conversations <laughs> like this, hundred percent. Well, uh, that, like to bring it back, kind of like even like to the mental wellness space. Um, you know the the like in the space that I'm in right now, and you're talking earlier about, uh, you know the fans that like if a player's not performing well and they kind of criticize uh you know you're a millionaire like what well, what do you you know like like you repay you, you for this you better put up it's the same type of thing about like the shut up and dribble you know and, and nothing that we're saying i look i'm not smoke certainly not trying to get political and nothing that that i say um is to be political and to be honest i don't care which side of the political fence you're on there's to be honest, i'd say values in both sides but it's, it's, it's not about sitting at the table and screaming and shouting at each other. It's about being able to have a conversation because you can have a good debate and walk away after and be like, you know what I learned? I still think how I think, but I appreciate the way you presented it. I learned something new to at least broaden my perspective a little bit. I still think the way I think, but I'm not like going to just scream like the Twitter, like just scream and argue and yell at it and, and, and just never have any sort of civil conversation. But to the whole the perspective of needing to perform and that pressure to perform the difficulty with what I was seeing last year and like the hockey fan saying like, I'd rather watch hockey than not watch hockey. I don't get why they're like needing to postpone these games type of thing. And me, the, how much that hurt me is literally saying like, you can cheer my name. If I'm on the ice for that team, you love me. I just beat somebody up 20,000 people standing, hollering, Fraser, Fraser. The second I say something that's reflecting my lived experience as yes, an NHLer. But not in that moment. I was just a black guy in the street, and this happened to me. But I was an NHL, and happened. But that did not protect me from being treated this particular way. And people basically being like, "Shut up, bro. We don't want to hear about that." <laughs> like this stuff. You know, we're we're following this platform to like get you know follow the Leafs, not hear about like your your comments on the Derek Chauvin trial or things like that. And it's it's, it's such a a painful thing for the mental side of these black athletes as well to know that. At the end of the day, they're a product of, of, of revenue for their bosses, for their organizations they work for. Sure, their pockets are maybe fattened too as the athletes, but not without a lot of hard work and, and basically, uh, um, basically needing to, uh, you know, or they've earned everything they got. But the difficulty in it is you're basically telling me now on a human level that I don't matter as an athlete. Cool. You'll cheer for me but on a human level. I don't matter. But then you're the next day expecting me to show up to work and still perform. So that's just another issue that like another layer of the mental side for the black athlete these days, that, that is honestly just challenging. Um, constantly needing to perform constantly needing to be perfect, but then heaven forbid you ever say something about a real lived experience outside of the arena or the field or the court. And people just want to shit on you because you that, that opinion actually is, isn't of value to us, you know? So what that does to the mental side of an athlete is, is, it's literally telling you that your life doesn't matter as a human, as an athlete, it does, but like as a human, no. And that's, that's, I can't express like the pain that's felt when you like read or hear those things.
3: Thanks for educating me today. You know, Um, I think it's a a really important conversation and uh, you know, keep up the good work. Uh, You know, I think, you know, it's, it's a needed position. I'm glad they created one for you and uh yeah just appreciate you know, it and if we can be of of help uh
2: you know just let us know i appreciate that appreciate that theo man this is an honor for me so <laughs> I, I love it hockey legend right here so i'm grateful i'm <laughs> grateful guys thank you
1: yeah uh, of course well you know th- this has been longer than we normally go so i hope you know everyone enjoyed we had a lot of topics to unpack here and mark we could probably go on forever in future talks so we'll we'll have you back on but theo's point we'll be rooting you on other than if you play the islanders but um we'll be rooting you on uh in your in your role and then and then the impact that you're making across the nhl and beyond so on behalf of our buddy darren revel uh and theo Fleury and our guest mark frazier i'm eric houston this is Same here global podcast. We're all a little crazy. We'll see you next time. You just heard we're all a little crazy brought to you by the hashtag same here global mental health movement and the hockey podcast network.